Welcome to welcome to this lesson on the future future in the past. This is Lane Santa Cruz, your Ward 1 Council member with your co-host, Liz Soltero, and you are listening to No Tucson. We started this podcast in response to our daily fight against COVID-19 and as another means to share information and resources with community and have dialogue about what's happening. Liz, what do we have this week? So this week, we are really grateful to have a guest with us today, Francisca Portes Coronado. Francisca's worked as an organizer for over 15 years on a variety of issues, including civil rights, environmental, climate justice, criminalization, and migration, all on the local and national level. Francisca founded Healing and Resistance, a wellness project that centers the healing of Latinx migrant peoples on the front line of the fight for migrant rights. Francisco is also the founder and national coordinator of Latinx Therapists in Action, a growing network linking Latinx therapists of color to frontline migrant rights organizations working in Latinx communities in need of mental health services. Thank you for the introduction, Liz, and, and thank you, Francisca, for, for joining us. Um, I know that you you live and, and raise your family in Phoenix, Arizona, so thank you for being part of this conversation here in Tucson. Um, so the reason that, you know, we wanted to bring you on, you had posted on the Latinx Therapist Action Network, IG, a post about our pain is political, so let's politicize our healing. I mean, that really struck a chord with me with a lot of the issues we have going on here in the city, whether it's around like police brutality, as it relates to the in-custody deaths that we've had here in Tucson as well, to trying to fight for equity and the distribution of resources and righting historical wrongs here in the city. So that's why we were really interested in bringing you. But before we get we get started on, on that, I wanted to see if you can just tell us a little more about yourself, like who are your people, your community, and, and the work that you've set out to do. Thanks for having me. I appreciate both of you and the work that you all have been doing through this podcast, but also for the people of Ward 1 in Tucson. A little bit about me, actually, these are my ancestral lands. I am a child of Sonora. I'm a child of copper. I was born in Cananea, Sonora, which is a little mining town about a couple, maybe like 50 minutes away from the Arizona border, depending on which border you decide to go through. And some people say that that's where the Mexican Revolution started. And the Southerners of Mexico say that that's not true. But um, but I think it definitely played a very significant role. So uh, there's a lot of copper mining there, very long, hard history and also beautiful history. So children of copper and I would say this is my ancestral lands because um, through the years I've done some research on who my people are and where I come from beyond the city that I was born in. And um, my father's side is what's been more accessible to me. So through my father's paternal lineage, um, and through my father's maternal lineage, I found out recently that I'm Papago, which is Tohono O'odham. 
So I definitely am a child of the desert and really grateful to have been able to find a little bit more about that and why I've sort of followed this path. I mean, really, it's been a path around social justice and environmental justice that has kind of brought me to be this, you know, 41-year-old woman back in her homelands trying to do work at the intersection of race, class, and, and politicized healing. And super excited about talking to you all today. And, and again, grateful that, that we get to, to connect in this mode. Francisca, could you tell us about how you felt called to do healing work? Yeah, I, you know, I've, um, I've never presented myself that way. And as, as though I, I do healing work, I think that, um, although I guess I do am part of like a broader effort, I think, to really center the well-being of um, communities who have a long history of colonization, specifically the communities that now identify themselves as Latino, Latinx. It's been a long journey, um, but to make a long story short, I think my work inside movement over the last 17 years has really led me to this path of exploring and grappling with more the question around how uh, freedom is also an inside job. Uh, freedom is also work that we have to attempt to embody, social justice, all those things that we want to see manifest in the world have to be also things that we have to allow our own spirit and nervous systems and bodies and whole selves be able to embody. And so I think that that's uh, one piece that is oftentimes not talked about enough or missing. And I think that it hit me the hardest when I was working here for Puente Human Rights Movement as organizing director for a few years and found myself really uh, struggling to really be of support to folks who were fighting against their own deportation or the deportation proceeding of their loved ones or having to go in and out detention centers and really not having the skills to be able to support people in the way that they needed. Also knowing that we weren't doing enough to really center their emotional experience, their trauma, and also uh, prioritize their well-being and their healing, even though obviously fighting and resisting and finally renewed purpose to your experience is could be very transformative and healing as well. Um, I just found myself very inept and I also found myself doing a lot of that work and it being invisibilized because I was an organizer or an organizing director. And so I felt a sense of urgency to begin to figure out how do we begin to center these experiences and how do we begin to really tend to that? And how do we also begin to integrate a broader analysis around the need for politicized healing within the broader fight? So that's kind of taken me down this path over the last three years. And for a long time, for the last 11 years, I've sort of been in the closet about my own spiritual tradition uh, and the work that I've done around traditional healing work, I guess you could say. And I feel like with the election of Trump, I felt emboldened to really be more honest about the fact that I am initiated into this tradition called Ifa and the fact that I've been training for a long time and that I've done healing work for many people. So it's sort of like a merge of those two things and really embodying my own healership as a political being and as a, as a veteran organizer. 
Francisca, so here, you know, in our work in, in Ward 1, I know that when we ran and we got elected, um, I know that personally a lot of my work prior to, to being in this position was what I considered to be like my decolonizing project and how do I bring like healing and a decolonizing, you know, framework to how, how I live out my life, you know, how I live more in tune with like the food, you know, that I eat, the way, like the material possessions, like how do I only take what I need and not um, live in this like capitalist exploitive relationship with, with my environment and then even right how I parent you know, so it's just always thinking about all the different ways that, you know, colonization has impacted our worldview and, and how we relate to each other. So coming into this space, that was still very much at the forefront for me. Like, how do I, I see my role as like an extension of that decolonizing project and how we relate to people um, here in the community and how we represent them. But a lot of that for me has always been centered around healing, right? Like it is like we have, we have to unlearn and then like relearn. And when I'm talking about decolonizing, I'm talking about like, how do we look at the past to think about like alternative ways of like knowing and doing things, you know, in the present and moving on to, to the future. So I'm thinking about, about this moment that we're living in right now. I know that you in your podcast have talked a lot about shame and how we overcome that as well in, in our communities. So if you could tell us a little bit about that exploration as a way to bring about healing. I would also be super curious, you know, what it's like, what it's like to be a council a woman and attempt to do things very differently. You know, the whole concept of decolonization, I think, is an experiment and a project and something that I think all of us are still trying to figure out that sometimes can be sort of like a big tent or blanket sort of statement, but I do want more people to engage in conversation or practice, right? Because I think we can at all levels. And so anyway, I'd be super curious, even before jumping into shame, like, what does that look like for you as a, as a councilwoman now? Like you're, what are you, are you in like a year already? Jeez, I don't know. Time has flown, but, um, but yeah, curious about that. Yeah. So um, we're in August. It is kind of crazy. We've um, have spent more time out of the office during the pandemic than we did in. <laughs> so we, we were inaugurated at the beginning of December. So it's about seven, eight months or eight months in, eight months deep. And I think that a lot of it was even like the physical space that we have in our community. How does it feel accessible that this belongs to all of us, that it's not like just my office, you know, it's our office. Um, and that it feels like a homey, that it feels homey, you know, for folks that we have just what you would find in here that it would be like an extension, like you see yourself, right? Like, like culturally, when it comes to the faces that greet you, uh, that you feel like that could be my tia or my cousin, you know, that it feels familial. So that was um, part of the intention of how we even put the physical space together and then trying to be just like really intentional around we know usually the folks who access government are folks who know how to navigate the system and those are always the squeaky wheel so how do we make sure that we're connecting you know in our networks the folks on the ground who might not even know how to navigate and how do we like reach out to them even the small businesses to let them know that we're here for them so just as like a starting point but i think the other way too is just 
how we show up, you know, at the at the council meetings, how we're always connecting everything that it's not just, you know, that government is neutral and it's, you know, it's not influenced by, you know, history and past experiences to like really bringing those things, you know, to the forefront like bringing in the stories of local historians, you know, and like setting up a policy move that we're going to do and why it's important. Um, so kind of constantly reaching to the past to like inform the present to then inform where we need to move. Um, that's kind of what I can think of right now. And I don't know, Liz, if you can add anything to that. I definitely see, you know, in the, in the time that we've been in office, just how magnified all of the actions, and I would say hyper magnified they are on you as our council member, being a queer woman and in this space and and bringing those histories, bringing those stories to the forefront in consistently in all of our conversations and how that folk, folks have, you know, are, are looking and they're being hypercritical at times and um, we've experienced this from all, all different sides. And we've also experienced what feels like rejection at times and a lot of different feels from folks maybe not understanding how some of the conversations have unfolded or um, with different outcomes on votes or how we got there. And, and as we attempt to you know, have the podcast and different, different ways of uh, having relationships and communication efforts, there's still that sense of rejection that comes from folks in our community. And that has been, I think, something that we're trying to navigate between and trying to understand how we continue to navigate in this, this very new role. So I just see, you know, in my role, especially just seeing how hyper-magnified folks are um, on our office, on you particularly. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> and then also, then, on, you know, on the other side, on like even the more conservative side, right? It's like, why am I not just keeping my mouth shut, you know, and just looking pretty and kind of going through the motions? And it's also like, no, you know, like that's not what we came in here to do. I'm also a complex being, you know, like like all like all of us. Like just because I'm in this position isn't like I have to be, I don't know, like some squeaky clean role model or something. It's like I, you know, I just live out my truth every single day and, and I do it with what I believe is like integrity. And that's not going to change whether I'm in this position or not. Yeah, I could imagine people wanting you to be all the things, right? And I think that I think that's where the question of shame comes in. You guys are talking about like the question of shame and how it manifests in all of us, both the respectability politics that we often have to live up to and the code switch and all these other categories that we must fit into in order to make people comfortable with what we look like and what they think our story is and our history, our history both of like our ancestral lands, but also like who we've represented both in the state and this country. I think that it's been really clear now during the Trump years, the the crisis, the spiritual crisis that I think we're all going through um, and that the country's going through. Um, and that at the end of this pandemic and maybe at the end of the four years, if, if Trump is not president again, you know, how do we ensure that we arrive at that place emotionally, phys- emotionally and spiritually more resilient? versus completely destroyed. It's imperative, imperative that we begin to really have an analysis 
uh, because we have an analysis of our pain. Our pain is political. Like we've been through so much and has produced so much devastation that's generational, that lives in our tissues, that lives in our bones, that is in our DNA. And that's the same of the same uh, sort of energy that we have to transform. And so I think there's just, I feel very strongly that we have to, and many of my colleagues and my peers in this work, that we must politicize the healing work that people are, that we're doing, but also like the debate and the conversation. Um, We see a multi-billion dollar industry, trillion if anything, of a lot of white sort of quote unquote new agey which is really code word for stealing our traditional ways and just literally lifestyle and making a lot of money off of it. And they really do exploit the fact that all of that can be whitewashed and depoliticized in a lot of ways, um, including Western mental health disciplines, right? I think oftentimes in movement or community spaces, we don't talk enough about healing with a broader analysis of race, class, gender, and history, the history of colonization. And, and, and I think that's a real tragedy. Um, and that there's just no way that the kind of transformation that we want and we're seeking can actually occur if we leave that analysis out. My friend Prentice Hemhill uh, once said that if we are not politicizing, and I'm, I'm totally misquoting them, but like if we're not politicizing our healing, then we're just, um, the work that we're doing our own healing is just figuring out how to acclimate to a situation, right? We're just trying to figure out how to acclimate to really terrible conditions versus actually transforming those conditions at the same time that we're transforming ourselves and simultaneously. And so I really do believe that. I think that, Our movements have to politicize the healing more and have to really center it. But also we must take our rightful place. I think as folks that are doing this work inside the broader political world, like everything from you, Lane and Liz to, you know, the baby organizer somewhere in the streets of Los Angeles doing environmental justice work and really name healing as an actual tactic and a strategy. Thank you, Francisca. That really kind of helps, you know, kind of summarize, like, yeah, like you said, where our pain comes from and why our our healing also has to be political. And and it really has been um, weighing on me since, you know, we became aware of Carlos Adrián Ingram López, you know, death in in custody, and then um, Damian Alvarado. And then yesterday morning, um, another 29-year-old, you know, Latino male died of an of an overdose in, in police custody. And just so much of the shaming that's been done. I mean, these are all men, Latino men, like their late 20s. You know, they, they self-medicate, you know, to kind of deal and, and get by. You know, I, I've shared that, like, you know, I lost my older brother, too, to an accidental, you know, fentanyl overdose. And, and so it's, you know, it's impacted me and, and my family and why I think it's so important that we name it and we talk about shame and we talk about pain and why our work in like bringing healing is is part of the work that we're here to do. So thank you. 
And I just want to echo and, and thank you, Francisca, for naming healing as a tactic. I think we definitely, you know, center and, and uplift that because in this work and what, I, what I've seen and, and just as being a person in this community and as an activist, as an educator, as a mom, and now um, in, in the office working alongside Lane is that we're often told grow thick skin. We're often told block out the noise. We're often told like we have to show up a certain sh- certain way and not show vulnerability. And and I'm not okay with that. <laughs> not okay with that. And um, getting to talk about it and and kind of pick it apart more and more. Really appreciating the ways in which Lane has helped us, um, and the ways that our team is striving to to show up. Francisca, so my Nina always teaches me about um, you know embodying my breath and and connecting with with my center, which is my ombligo, and being aware of that. You know, so you know, hoping that you could. Um, if, you, if you felt like you could share some practice that, that we, you know, can do to like reconnect. One thing that I have found uh, really helpful in the last few weeks um, has been to engage in what I consider prayer. Every morning, waking up. And if you are able to sit yourself on the floor, have um, your back up against the wall so that it's up straight and you have, you feel something supporting your back and being able to feel the floor right under you, getting connected to the earth. If you can face the east where the sun rises, even better. And then to simply call on Whatever spirits you feel are around you, whoever it is that you know can witness and just say thank you. Just literally name all the things you're thankful for out loud. Whether that's the fact that you woke up and you have air in your lungs that day and you live to see another day. Whether it is that your family is close to you, whether it is that you're COVID free, whether it is that you have water to drink and food to eat if you want to keep it that basic, or whether there are other things that are you're navigating that you're thankful for because you got clarity, um, whatever it is. And then say, I'm sorry. Saying I'm sorry because we are implicated in things that we might not intentionally be doing to harm others. We are implicated in the exploitation of, of the earth and the balance of, you know, all of the ecosystems of the world and nature. We are implicated in in a lot of things that we're not conscious about, and sometimes we are conscious. So that I'm sorry moment really um, humbles you. It really helps you start your day in a humble way. You can say what you're sorry for um, and ask for forgiveness because the earth is, is all forgiving and all loving and because we need to be humble. And lastly, to ask for special blessings and ask for special favors. And really just put out what you want. And so those three things and those three small steps can really help ground you as you start your day and as you begin. And um, and so, yeah, so if you can do that small ritual in the morning, every morning, then that I feel 
will be really helpful and really grounding. Great. Thank you so much, Francisca. Um, and if you'd want, if our, our listeners want to learn more about the work um, that Francisca does, you can follow the La Cura podcast, um, which is a podcast de decolonizing Latinx health and reclaiming traditional healing. Or you can also connect with Latinx Therapist Action Network. Um, so thank you so much, Francisca. Again, I can't thank you enough. Yeah, ya estamos, you know, a tus órdenes with anything you might need from us. Gracias, Francisca. Thank you both for having me. Um, and we should talk. We should hang out sometime when there's no pandemic <laughs> and chat it up. Um, gracias a ustedes. Thanks for listening to No Tuxon. Visit our social media, keep listening on our website, or subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date and in the know. Until next time, bye. Thank you.